welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get started. Straight from New York. Yo, yo, this handsome man. You yo, yo. are now tuned in to Al Joe the Funk Master. Watch your grill, you'll get knocked out cold fast. And talking shit, now we talking facts. Where the man are off the back, you in trouble, came to burst your bubble. I don't shelter punches, they find home on your mind about the devil. It's the weekly scraps. You don't need a map, GPS, I'm right here to lead it. That's right. The world doesn't know it needs, but I grow disease. Planet, fuck a name and the fame. Only legacy remains. Remember the name, Al Jermaine Sterling. Uh, it ain't shit, it ain't shit, motherfucker. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the weekly scraps episode 160. We are back. It is officially a fight week again. I do not know which Vegas card this is, but it should be UFC Vegas 47, I think. Something like that. I don't know. When when they come back, we'll be able to see when they post it up. But um, Giga Chikadze taking on Calvin Cater, or should I say Calvin Cater taking on Giga Chikaze. Big fight, big step up in the UFC featherweight division with possible title implications on the line for probably more so Chikadze than Calvin Cater. But if Cater wins and the division is still in a little bit of limbo, he could possibly jump back in that conversation even after that loss to Max Holloway. If Max Holloway can't get himself healthy enough to get back into action. Um, before we get into this, quick update. I know you guys probably seen some of the news, but yes, they are talking about pushing our fight back to April. Not because of me. This is what I was told, that Jan isn't vaccinated. Jan isn't vaccinated, so he can't fight in March. <laughs> I'm Jan, and I'm not vaccinated, so I can't fight in March. And I'm, I actually respect his gangster. If this is the real reason, I actually respect his stance. I respect it. But it doesn't make any sense, and I'm making fun of it because it's like, well, is he going to be vaccinated in April? I don't think so. So what are we doing? I, what are we doing? What are we doing? I just want to know when we're fighting because, it's, dude, it's about time we get to punch each other in the face. Wouldn't you guys say? I think so. So hopefully we can figure this out sooner rather than later, and um, we can unify these belts and see who's really the guy. I mean, and I know people are going to say what they want to say about the last fight. Oh, he was beating you up. I was like, dude, again, I don't know. I'm like a broken record at this point. If that's what you think, based on all my performances, if you think that one fight is a good indication of my skill set and my conditioning, okay. Okay. We, we, got, we got a lot of people that are going to lose a lot of money. I always bet on myself. This will be no different. So I'm excited for that. Um, let's get into this, though. Other than that, that's pretty much my breaking news. I don't really have much breaking news. Um, just waiting to figure out when we're going to actually get the scrap and settle this rivalries. Because March 5th would have been just about exactly a year from last year, March 6th, from when we fought. And that kind of reminded me of the Pedro Munoz fight to the Corey Sanhagen fight. When I got the wrist surgery, I had to get two surgeries on my hand to fix this ligament, put pins in, and then they had to take the pins out with the second procedure, and I had to go back under the the knife again where they put me to sleep to take out the pins because it was so buried in there for so, so long. So two surgeries for one one fix, and um, that was about a year from June 6th to June 8th. 
So it was just about exactly a year. So this would have been kind of similar in that regards. And we knew what happened in that one, that return. And I was hoping to do the same thing and making it two for two. But it is what it is. Um, Giga Chikaze. Now, this one is a good fight because for multiple reasons. And I, I think you have the clash of styles, um, kind of like a Yair Rodriguez versus Max Holloway kind of kind of thing, where you have the predominantly heavy kicker with heavy punches. And you have the guy who's primarily a boxer with heavy punches through and throughout. And that's Cater with the punching and the boxing. And crisp boxing, crisp hands, a little bit different with the striking in terms of like when he fought Holloway. I think that one was a little bit different because of the style of boxing that Max uses. And he also mixes in some of those kicks where he's stepping on the oblique kicks, um, giving you something to think about. And Max using and utilizing that footwork circling the perimeter, using those fakes, knowing when to step in there, blitzing, changing angles, and, and kind of hitting you from southpaw, hitting you from orthodox position, going to the body, ripping the body, and coming back up top, and just pure, pure volume nonstop where Cater, if he lands, he lands hard. He throws in those those one-twos, those um, big hooks, very, very good, stays on that jab. Um, he made big adjustments from the Hanato Moicano fight where he was getting calf kicked to death. This should be interesting because it's not the calf kicks. It's uh, the body kicks, the giga kick, and coming up top to the head kick. And Cater's going to need to be sharp. And we've seen what he did to Barbosa. Barbosa is a phenomenal Muay Thai striker. And eventually, after doing all those beautiful checks and, and marching giga down, eventually uh, Edson Barbosa slowed down and the kick started to wear on Barbosa. And I think... That's really what it is. You got shin on forearm, these muscles here, and these bones crashing down on these little forearm. It's uh, it's it's different. And when someone does that over and over and over again, kind of like uh, Marshawn Marshawn Lynch, it's like over and beast mode, over and over and over and over again, running through somebody. It hurts. It hurts a lot. So just imagine that. Someone taking a baseball bat, smashing against your forearms, even though you block it the first time, you block it the second time, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, and you're just like, ah, ah, it hurts, it hurts, you know? <laughs> so I look, at it, I look at it from this standpoint, and if Cater can't cut Giga off, and it's a smaller cage, if you can't cut him off, and keep him in front of him because Giga used a lot of great footwork against Barbosa, circling nonstop until um, Barbosa slowed down. And then Chikaze really pulled the trigger and started throwing heavy punches. Like I was saying, he's a big guy at 145, but he starts putting all his body weight into his punches and then slamming those kicks down when Barbosa is starting to slow down, become a lot more of a stationary target. And I think that's the difference in his uh, his approach. With this, I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be circling a lot because it, he's not worried about the kicks. He's worried about the punches of Cater where he can kind of stand in front of him and just kind of just move out of the way just a little bit. Doesn't have to worry about going too far back because of the kicks that he was, uh, I don't want to say worried about, but had to respect from Edson Barbosa. So I think this is going to be a very interesting matchup. I, 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 I don't know which way to lean, though, because to count – Calvin Cater, uh, it's it's very tough, I, but I do think when he has that stylistic approach of of matchups, where I don't want to say approach, stylistic matchups that favor him in terms of the striking department with just the boxing, Shane Burgos, 
um, uh, uh, Jeremy Stevens. The Max Holloway was a little different, very, very one-sided, but he did have some moments where he landed hard and landed big against Max. But for the most part, he got like outpointed probably like four to one with a strike count, and he's tough as hell. And we saw that he can take a beating, and he's willing to stay in there to find that one shot and hopefully have a, a game-changing strike that could change the game for him, you know? Um, so he's willing to stay in there. He's a tough dude. He's very durable. Um, some other guys he's fought. I mean, but guys that kick a lot, like um, Hanata Moicano, he beat Danny Gay by decision. That was a back-and-forth fight, uh, but he definitely took over at at some points where you'd be able to say, like, Cater's definitely winning this fight. He lost as a beat who's very, very kick-heavy as well. Um, Andre Feely, he beat a lot of good people, man. You know, so looking at this, he's been alternating between two wins, two losses, two wins, one loss. Not two losses, sorry. He made his debut. He beat Feely, Burgos, lost to Moicano, beat Fishgold, Lamas, Lois is a beat. He beat Stevens, Ige, lost to Holloway. So he's been like kind of up and down, up and down. Like he's winning, winning, lose, winning, winning, lose. So he lost his last one. Um, if he continues that trend, he would win this one. But again, Giga is uh, undefeated in the UFC. I, I think this is a tough out for anybody. And just the way he kicks, man, it, he disguises it very, very well. Finishing Barbosa, finishing Cub Swanson, uh, finishing Jamie Simmons. And the last two were decision wins. Three decision wins. And I think he's finally getting his feet wet in the MMA world in comparison to his kickboxing pedigree where people were very, very high on him. And now he's starting to show that in the octagon. And I think that's a dangerous, dangerous Giga Chikaze for anybody. Um, we still really haven't seen much of his grappling. I don't know if Cater is going to be looking to expose that. But that would be the path of least resistance in fighting a guy like Giga Chikaze, who's so dangerous on his feet and hits very, very hard. When this guy kicks you, man, he puts guys down. He, these guys are in pain. When he kicked Cup Swanson, Cup Swanson pretty much turned away and just like, yo, bro, my, my liver, my liver, dog, I'm good. I'm going to chill right here. So, I don't know. This is a tough fight for me to, to pick. And stylistically, um, we have the, the Georgian flag of, Marab flying high at the gym. I've met Giga through Marab, and uh, I haven't trained with him, but I got to train with one of his guys, lighter guys, uh, Mikel, uh, Cuban guy, a little bit older. Cool dude, man. Super down to earth. Uh, we even spoke after my my title fight, um, and we talked about a couple things. And what I, what, like I said, I mentioned what I mentioned to him. It was like, bro, you gotta eat. you gotta eat before you compete. I'm like, dude, I know this. And it's just the one mistake I've made. And it, it, even when I still say it out loud, I just feel so stupid. Like, ah, whatever. But just going back to what I was saying, he's a cool dude, man. Super down to earth. Calvin, cool dude as well. Got to hang out with him and, and Rafon before his fight with um, Cody Garbrandt. Both really, really nice guys. And this is going to be a tough fight for me to pick a winner. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm here for it. I'm here for the damage. Hopefully I can get a ticket to the Apex to go watch this one. We'll see. Uh, next up, we have Caitlin Chukagan taking on Jennifer Meyer. Jennifer Meyer had her best performance of her career, even coming in a loss to Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, 
Um, and that was what, 2020 in November of last year? No? 2020. Uh, November 21st of, of 2020. Okay, so that was a little bit of a while ago. A little longer than a year at this point. Um, and then you have her win over Jessica I right after that. Unanimous decision. And before that, she beat Joanne Calderwood. And before that, she lost to Caitlyn Jukagan. So now they're having a rematch. It doesn't seem like there's many other options for both these females for them to fight and compete with because they're having a rematch so soon. If Caitlyn could stay on her bike, not get taken down, I think she could kind of win the fight the same way she did last time. Because Maya seems to be pretty competent on the ground. Uh, she did get Valentina down. She did win a round, maybe. I, I don't want to say two. I, I can't really remember. But I feel like she kind of did win two rounds. But I know for sure she won one. Where you're like, okay, you kind of got to give the challenger that round, right? So, uh, I don't know. I'm um, I'm drawing a blank here. I, I would have to go back and watch those. But I remember her being very, very competitive where a lot of other people kind of got steamrolled. And they went to a, a decision with Valentina, which not everybody does. I mean, even Holly Berry. You know, I just watched the Bruise movie and I was like, holy crap. She went to a decision with the lady killer. With the lady killer. Spoiler alert. I might have to edit that part. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But we know Caitlyn's got good footwork. She's a black belt herself. Good jujitsu. Um, you wouldn't have guessed that, obviously, from her fight with um, Valentina, the way it was kind of like very one-sided. Like she didn't really use like butterflies or elevating her or trying to get to a hip to hit like a hip escape kind of thing. So there was some positions where it's kind of like. You you have you could have she could have done better. I think if she was just in that mindset, okay, we're in jujitsu jiu mode now, things could have been a little bit better positionally for her. I'm not saying she would have won a fight against Valentina, but things could have been better positionally if she was to really um, trust her skill set a little bit more. For lack of better words, um, outside of that, I think in this fight she uses her footwork. She gets on top. I think she should be okay, or even just using her footwork. 15 minutes, I could see Caitlyn getting it done again. So this is going to be a good good back-and-forth fight. I can see that happening. And I think whoever can impose their will a little bit more is going to be the one to come out on top getting the hand raise. Uh, next up, we got Brandon Royval taking on Bontarin. Now, Royval, I don't think he's fought in a while since his fight to Brandon. No, he fought Alexander Pantoja. That was in 2021 of August. And before that, he lost to Moreno in 2020 in November 21st on the same card that um, Jennifer Maya fought Valentina Shevchenko on. What a quinky dink. So he's on a two-fight skid after coming into the UFC red hot, um, beating Tim Elliott, arm triangle choke, finishing Kai Kata France, um, Guillotine in round two, and now dropping to the Brandon Moreno and then Alexander Pantoja. Um, Pantoja's no slouch, though. Not a bad guy to lose to. He's been around forever since the tough show. And he's been beating a lot of good guys. Was he 31? Um, Pantoja even beat Manel Cop. Very close decision. I remember that one. And he had a unanimous decision loss to Askar Askarov, who is another perennial top contender in the flyweight division. So this is a good one for Roy Val, I think. To take on Bontarin, who is a juggernaut, in my opinion. He just beat Matchnow. 
Uh, lost to Kai Katafranz via punches, and he got caught. I remember him getting caught by the, I think it was a left hook, and he also lost to Ray Borg. So I don't know. This could be a very fun fight. Roy Val, we all know he's super crazy out there, very unorthodox. Um, he just throws wild spinning attacks and uh, either elbows or jump knees, and he stays on you with the volume, kicks. He's, he's just looking to hurt the opponent at any any given position that he can where he's constantly attacking over and over and over again. And then when the floor, the fight hits the floor, his jujitsu starts to take over where he's able to implement all these different attacks, whether he's going for a leg, he's trying to elevate, throwing up triangle attacks, he's striking off of his back. So he's never just a stationary um, target and he's never just laying there kind of being docile and just accepting the position. You know, he, he's, he moves he stays busy, and he constantly attacks, keeping you on your toes, making you think the entire time. And I think that's why he's so dangerous. Um, unfortunate that he fought Brandon um, Moreno and his shoulder came out of the socket. I'm not sure if that was a pre-existing injury, but it seemed like it was uh, for it to come out the way that it did because it was nothing really of significance where it's like, oh, I lifted you up all the way over your head, and you, I took you down, slammed you down, and you posted your arm, and it just it dislocated kind of thing. This was just like... I don't know. I forget exactly how it happened, but I know it wasn't like a big slam that that hurt him. And uh, the Pantoja fight, I can't remember how that one went, but I know he lost. Was that a finish? I don't think that was a finish. I think it was a decision. Let me look again. Oh, it was a rear naked choke in round two. It was. I think he kind of relaxed in the in the position where he thought he was safe and then got caught. Uh, not got caught, but he thought he was safe trying to do some roly-poly shit. And I think he just got, yeah. I don't want to say got caught, but um, he left his stuff left him defensively irresponsible. He paid for it and got choked out and submitted. So, yeah. But other than that, I think his game is very tricky and problematic for a lot of people because it's so sporadic and all over the place that you just really don't know what to expect. You just got to expect that something is going to happen and come towards the way. And you got to make sure you're just ready for just random shit being thrown at you, like almost like playing a video game and someone just pressing buttons on the controller and something just happens to attack you or whatever so you guys got to be prepared for all that um this podcast is not gonna be too long we got a couple of big names not big names um big fights jake collier versus chase sherman collier has been looking really good he beat our guy um since he came up from 205 he's at heavyweight now five six three he beat our guy gian Vellante. he lost his last one to carlos felipe uh, Chase Sherman, 32 years old, 6'4". He lost his last two. So this could be a really tough one for Chase again in terms of, you know, he got back to the UFC against Villanueva and then lost his last two. Andre Lasky in a close fight and then lost to Parker Porter. So he's not in a good spot once again. And I can only imagine what that pressure feels like because I've been there once before and it it just seems like the your back is against the wall and there's just like all the odds are stacked against you and you really have to come through in this last performance to make sure you keep your job and no one likes that type of pressure, you know. Just imagine you're going to work, punching the clock and your boss, as soon as you punch you punch the clock, he's hovering over you and checking everything that you do the entire day. I mean, that's what it is for us in this office, except it feels like that for eight weeks straight. I mean, you got a probation period. But it's different when it's like, um, what would you say? Uh, 
because obviously most people's jobs, you, that's not the case. You get a probation period, but they're not hovering over you the entire time. Unless something I don't know. But at least when I was working, I didn't. I had my proba- uh, probation periods, but I never had someone hovering over me to see how I'm doing the entire time. Where this, it, it feels like that. It feels like your boss is hovering over you and watching you the entire time. And if you don't perform, which usually... The guys are, have their back against the wall when the UFC matches up people who've had two losses back-to-back or three losses back-to-back. You know the losers getting their pink slip um, and leaving the show. So it's one of those type of feelings, and uh, it's, a, it's a very scary one, man. Um, so we'll see what happens with this. But I do think Chase is still a tough dude. He's shown a lot of growth when he came back to the UFC. Um but Porter actually, um, Collier has looked really good since he come down to 205. I mean, uh, come up to heavyweight from 205. The way he beat Volante, uh, Volante, I thought Volante was going to murder him. But he shows this is why you fight. Um, and obviously, Volante is not the best guy in terms of getting in shape. Collier was in better shape, and he deserved to win just based on that. But... Talent-wise, I felt like Volante on paper was just the better fighter in terms of just skill set. But you do have to factor in cardio, and yeah. So let I me, mean, uh, yeah. Jake, Jake is not bad. Jake Collier is pretty good. Um, Bill Algio taking on Joe Anderson Brito. I don't know who this guy is. Is he making his debut? No, I think he was in the Ultimate. No. He was a contender guy. Okay. So he beat Diego Lopez in contenders, and now he's fighting Bill Algio, who is a tough dude from the East Coast. Senor Profecto. He lost his last one to Ricardo Ramos. Before that, he beat Spike Carlisle, and before that, he lost to Ricardo Ramos. Wait, what? He fought Ricardo. Oh, Ramos. Ricardo Ramos. He fought Lamas, and he lost to Ramos at 45 by decision. And I remember that one. That was actually a good fight. It was actually a really good fight. Um, let's skip down. Uh, Jamie Pickett versus Joseph Holmes. Joseph Holmes was on Dana White Contender Series. He didn't get signed. He's 7-1. Then he went out, and he had a fight that was booked like a couple weeks later. He won that fight after the Contenders fight, and they signed him now. And this is what Dana White said. He, like, he just doesn't think he was ready yet. And Dana might have been right. So he went out there. He fought one more. He won. And here he is in the UFC making his UFC debut now, this weekend. Uh, he's fighting Jamie Pickett, who is a big power puncher, I think. Um, 33 years old, 6'2". He beat uh, Staropoli, his last fight, and before that he lost to Jordan Wright and and, and Chukwi. So this should be a good fight for them. So I, I think for Pickett, this is a, a tough position for him to be in, but um, taking on a newcomer, He's still got the experience in that regards over someone who's won his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven fights in a row. He lost his debut fight in Bellator, and after that, he's been on a tear. And that's what it's all about, man. You know, getting that experience, getting your feet underneath you, and having an opportunity to really make a name for yourself. He's 26, 6'4", so relatively young. Really young compared to me, at least. I'm 32. You know, so for him to be 26 and getting into the UFC, seven-fight win streak, he's in a very, very good position. Court McGee is back, taking on Bram, Bramage, Braham, uh, Ramiz. I'm going to say that. 
Brahimaj. 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 Okay, maybe it's Brahimaj. I don't know. But he's from 47 May. He won his last one over Sasha Palatnikov. And he's taking a Court McGee. I think Court won his last fight. Yes, over Claudia Silva. But before that, he lost three. Then he beat Alex Garcia. Then he lost two. Strickland and Ben Saunders. Then he beat Dominic Still. So he's been on an up and down uh, position. But I like Court McGee a lot because of his background story. Meth addict. Um, let me not say meth. Drug addict. So I don't know if it was actually meth or heroin, whatever it was. Drug addict. Overcame that. You know, I think he said he died and came back. And it just got a fascinating story. Very, very interesting to see the, what he's overcome just to get to the UFC, win the Ultimate Fighter. And then on top of that, win some a couple fights in the UFC. He's been around for a while. How old is he now? Court is 37 years old. You know, so he probably doesn't have much going on for himself after like this, you know. So it's it's good that the UFC is keeping him busy because he, when you, I'm looking at topology, like I'm seeing a lot of red, and most of these guys who have stuff like this happening, they don't really stick around this long, this long. But I think because of his story, is so relatable to a lot of people around the world. He's had some success. Um, he's still competing with some of the best guys. He was out for a couple of years and then finally came back. Um, and he's got some wins here and there, some tough losses. Uh, but it still shows he's a tough dude. He's a fighter through and through. And again, I respect him for everything he's done. Winning an ultimate fighter is not easy. Um, you're locked up in a house. A couple weeks, you're fighting back-to-back. And to get to the UFC, win as many fights as he's won, it's no easy task. And at 37 years old, he's taking on another tough guy. Um, so I'm excited for him because I think Brahimaj is relatively young, 29. No, not the youngest, but still younger than 37. You know, so almost a decade of youth. Uh, TJ Brown taking on Gabriel Benitez at 145. Kelleher taking on Sadi Cub. I think this is a very, very interesting fight. Um, for a couple of reasons, Kelleher, a veteran, um, Saeed, who's only had one fight in the UFC, both guys from technically New York, Saeed is now training over at Timo Yama, Saeed 26, uh, 5'8", where is he from, Uzbekistan, he beat Trevin Jones in his debut, Guillotine Choke, um, he beat Lynn at CFFC. He beat Asker Askar. I don't know who that is. Pipe Vargas. He lost to Umar Nagomedov. Decision, which is pretty impressive by decision. That's pretty good against um, Nurmagomedov, who is considered a very, very hot prospect, the, co- the, the cousin of Khabib. And then he's taking on Kelleher, who's 35 years old, 5'6", uh, from New York, Won his last one over Domingo Pilate, beat Ricky, lost to Ricky Simone, beat Ray Rodriguez, guillotine choking round one, lost to Cody Stamen, knocked out Hunter Azur, um, choked out Odie Osborne, lost to Montel J- Jackson round one, Darce choke, lost to John Lineker, um, got knocked out in the third round, beat Hedden Burrell, beat Damian St- uh, Stasiak, lost to Marlon Vera round one, beat Yuri Alcantara in his debut. Beat Julio Arce, uh, Gaitin Choke, round one. 
beat um, Julio Arce by decision. So he's been around the block, Kelleher. It's for all these guys. He's 23 and 12. And Saeed is 9 and 2. Kelleher's got a very interesting style. He kind of just hangs in there for a while. You know, he's a tough dude, good striking, um, good jujitsu, very like um, heavy on top. Doesn't try to do too much, which is smart. Doesn't get himself caught up in too many submissions while he's on the top position. You know, the Marlon Vera fight was, you know, he got uh, he shot in against the cage. Vera locked in a, a key lock, and he pulled back a couple times. The second, I think the second or third time he tried doing it, Marlon was able to keep hold of it and follow Keller to the ground and transition into a armbar and get the finish from, from that position. So it's not like a traditional jiu-jitsu setup that you would see, but it showed that Vera is very, very well-versed in jiu-jitsu um, positioning versus Kelleher, who's probably used to just being in the top position, um, settling in that position, and, and doing what he needs to do to, to get the dub in that in that way. Uh, but striking, he, he can crack. He sits down on his punches pretty hard, pretty good. And I think he gains confidence as the fight goes on, which I think a lot of people do once you get that feel of your opponent. But for him, I think he does a good job. Like, if you look at the Ricky Simone fight, he starts to turn it on really in that third round, then really, really trying to attack um, Simone. But it was, like, one of those a little bit too late. Same thing with um, with uh, Cody Stamen, just a little bit too late. So he's been in there with some of the best guys in the world, come up short. And now here's an opportunity for him to take out another young up-and-comer. And if he takes him out, he's back in the mix again, I think, with – some of the, the top players in the division, and I think he will get a real big step up. Um, and if Saeed wins, that puts him in a big positional jump with a W over a guy like Brian Kelleher. So this is a tough one. Um, Saeed is a very good striker, good dexterity in his legs, could throw up some really good fast kicks. I think Kelleher is going to need to gas pedal him and really keep the pace on him and keep that pressure. I don't think Saeed is going to shoot, but if he can get Saeed to shoot, Kelleher has a really, really good guillotine. Um, he can't rely on that just trying to jump to guillotine, but if he could get it early in that first round, he has a super wicked squeeze, and I think he could get just about anybody out of there within that first round if he could get his hands around your neck, specifically the left. His um, left side guillotine is ridiculous. Like I, I never felt someone who could crunch my neck like that the way he does compared to the right side. Um, I've been in both his guillotines, but he, he definitely has a, a knack for squeezing on that left side better, um, at least from what I can remember. And we haven't trained together in a while, so who knows what Kelleher is really, really good at now. Um, I had neck surgery. I've been out of it for, for quite a while. Uh, but I'm looking forward to his return against a very, very tough guy who I met at the UFC PI, but obviously I have more of a relationship with Kelleher. And uh, we used to train together at the same team, Team Bomb Squad, way back in the day. And this should be a fun fight, I think, for everyone who's ever known him to watch. You know, so I'm looking forward to it. So it's going to be a good fight. Um, either way, that's all we got for today. Not going to be real, not going to be too, too long in this podcast. But as always, guys, if you like my shit, subscribe to my shit. We're spinning breakfast, baby. I'll see you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. As always, peace.